Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs. My name is uh, Sally Sheik. I'm a UT PGY4 in the uh, PM&R residency in Houston. I'm here today with Dr. Sulzer. Um, Dr. Sulzer, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Uh, yeah, sure, Sal. So I uh, started out as a rehab engineering uh, graduate student in 2003, and I've been in that field since then. Uh, I was at uh, Northwestern University and Rehab Institute of Chicago, which is now Shirley Ryan Ability Lab for my PhD. Uh, then I went to um, Switzerland and I did a postdoc over there for a few years, uh, also in rehab engineering. Uh, moved to Texas, uh, was at UT Austin as a faculty member for uh, eight and nine years. And then recently, just two months ago, moved up to Cleveland, where I'm from. And now I'm at uh, Metro Health hospital and Case Western Reserve University in the PM&R department there. All right. All right. Thank you. Uh, when you were in Chicago, what was your favorite thing to eat? Oh my gosh, everything. Uh, I, I definitely liked the, I was a big hot dog fan. I, I did like the specific deep dish pizza, uh, the, the, you know, the touristy stuff. That was great. Yeah. Um, but there is a, um, there is a Turkish restaurant uh, around the corner from my, my house that had this great lamb dish. So that's where I normally went. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I, I miss the food in Chicago. The Italian style giardinera is, uh, specifically what I miss. Ah, yeah. Yeah. That's good too. Good stuff. All right. Um, would you tell the listeners uh, a little bit about what you talked about in your grand rounds and, uh, um, kind of what happened with, uh, Libby, your daughter? Yeah, so uh, I, you know, I have three three kids: Noah, who's eight right now, uh, Livy, who is six, and Reed, who is three. And uh, two years ago, a week before her fourth birthday, Livy was struck by a tree branch in her backyard and suffered a severe traumatic brain injury. So the, all of a sudden, it was you know like my, um, you know, I had some professional knowledge of traumatic brain injury, although I'm not a clinician; I'm just an engineer. Uh, and it was uh, definitely an eye-opening experience going through this from a first-person perspective. Uh, the patients I saw uh, as an engineer at, at the Rehab Institute were, as far as I knew, always like that. I, I didn't have any perspective of how they were beforehand. Uh, so going through this and seeing uh, this process was um, extremely difficult. 
and uh, you know she was in a coma for two months, or two two weeks. I'm sorry, two weeks, and she then she went to inpatient uh, for a month and a half, and then we moved her to Baltimore for inpatient for a few months. So we bounced around for about five months before she came home, and uh, it's uh, still a, a struggle uh, every day uh, dealing with this situation. She remains severely impaired motorically and cognitively. And uh, that's the talk was kind of about those challenges. The talk was about uh, the difficulties in medical decision making for her. The talk was about, uh, you know, how it has affected my experience as a rehab engineer and uh, what, what we've known as some of the gaps that, that really aren't being addressed and filled. Wow. Um, so how did you manage to fill all the roles you had to play uh, in this in this scenario? You were both. Uh... You know, you're a parent, caregiver, a rehab engineer, scientist, and researcher. How did you balance all of that? Well, for starters, my, my wife stopped working, essentially, and that's who took most of the caregiving duties. Uh, as the, for the first eight months, we, we didn't have a nurse, and then a nurse came, came around, and uh, we were able to get some help. I, I, nursing is great, but it's not like this perfect solution by any means, and there's a lot of gaps, and I mentioned in the talk, we often had nurses who were, who could be fairly unreliable and made that difficult. Um, but you know, the ones we had that were reliable were, were fantastic. Um, so that, that was one aspect, uh, you know, balancing this with my job, this is one of the rare things. And that's why, you know, people like hearing the story is that, you know, how does this intersect with your job? Uh, I, I think it's, um, you know, it, it, there is an irony. Uh, you know, I talked to my program officer at NIH. You know, this is what we do as researchers. We, we need to apply for money. And I said, you know, due to this situation, I'm not going to have as much time to write grants. But at the same time, this whole situation is giving me a lot of insight into these issues that I'm researching. So what do I do here? And her suggestion was unfortunately not very helpful. She's like, well, write fewer grants and make sure they're better quality. I'm like, well, that's not exactly the solution <laughs> for that. Uh, it, so it, it's, I still think that, you know, the, the, the system is not exactly fit for someone like me. And I'm still trying to figure out where I fit in and how, what I do now. Um, but yeah, I, to say there's any balance, uh, I would say there is no balance. Uh, our lives are still a mess. We're still trying to get go by day by day and solve a puzzle every single day on how we're going to get through the next day. Uh, and my, I got to say, my wife takes the brunt of it. Uh, as I mentioned in the talk, she's had to change her entire life around and it's completely unfair to her. Uh, and uh, we, we just do our best and, and hope that things turn out. Yeah. Wow. Um, so when you do approach a problem or one of these puzzles that you have to solve, do you uh, first do it as a parent and then kind of go down the line as a caregiver yeah. and then see it as a as an engineer? Well, I don't know if we do it that formally. Um, you know, we unfortunately there has to be priorities and often Livy's the priority. And that's at the expense of Noah and Reed, uh, which is really unfortunate. And, that, and we're, we're getting better at that. We're, we're starting to prioritize them more. But that's been one of the big struggles, especially, you know, especially in the early stages uh, of the injury. Uh, you know, Noah, who not only um, didn't get a, a enough attention from his parents, also lost his best friend. 
And uh, that was something that's um, hard to hard to see from that perspective. You know, she was they were really getting along in the early days of the pandemic. And um, then all of a sudden she's gone for five months and, and he doesn't see her. And then she comes home and this is not the girl he knew. And he's got to build a whole new relationship with her. So that's been very difficult. Uh, so, so certainly Noah's gotten a short shrift. Um, but uh, it, it, it is a constant struggle on trying to decide how much to prioritize her needs versus the other kids versus our own self-care. And I can't tell you we have a good system for that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, do you feel like this uh, tested your limits or uh, kind of uh, showed you what you're what you're truly capable of? And if so, what uh, coping strategies did you develop along the way? Uh, certainly it was beyond our limits. Uh, it's, um, you know, every day, like I said, is, is a challenge and it's, it's very exhausting uh, emotionally, physically and all different levels and continues to be, although uh, it's, it's gotten a whole lot better, obviously. Uh, the coping strategy we found that was most important was taking things day by day and staying in the present. The psychologist told us that there's an ambiguity in what the future holds. She could recover. She could uh, not recover very much. And we both of those are possibilities. So what you need to do is just stay in the present and work with what you have at the time. So that's you know basic stuff. If you're in a crisis, that's kind of what you have to do. Uh, and that, that's been our coping strategy for, for quite some time now. And it's, uh, it's difficult to maintain that and, and live your life, but it's, it's what you kind of have to do. Yeah. Good advice. Good advice. Um, so in this experience, uh, I'm sure you've met so many different people and from so many different specialties, um, you know, that come and go throughout your constant experience. Which ones, which people and which uh, specialties have been like an unwavering pillar of support for you through all of this? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I, I feel guilty because there's probably too many people to mention and I'm not going to be able to mention everyone. And there have been uh, on an emotional level, a lot of our friends in our neighborhood and our neighbors were, were fantastic. They even while we were gone, they mowed our lawn and took care of our yard and that kind of stuff. Uh, there were, so on that level, there, there are people who brought us food for months. Uh, you know, Lindsay's friends, uh, absolutely for the first year, they, they were sending us food on almost a weekly basis. So we didn't have to cook. That was hugely helpful. Uh, cause the last thing we wanted to worry about was where we're getting meals and going shopping and during the pandemic, it was difficult. Um, the, the, our parents drove in, uh, from Ohio, they drove for 20 hours and, uh, Lindsay's multiple times just to, to hang out with us for a couple of weeks and, and help take care of things. Uh, but uh, so we had a lot of support from friends and family, which was hugely helpful. Uh, as far as professional support, uh, one of my colleagues, Kathleen Manella, uh, who is a physical therapy professor, came over once a week and did physical therapy with Libby. And, and they really got along well. And it was, uh, you know, it wasn't just helpful for Libby. It was helpful for me to have someone with such great expertise and knowing that she was getting the best care possible. And you no, know, just being able to bounce ideas off someone, someone that I knew well beforehand. Uh, and that was, that was a great relationship. And uh, there have been a number of other experts that I pinged for advice, uh, experts in cerebral palsy that I knew before that have been, that have been very helpful too. 
So um, I, I, there's someone, uh, Cole Galloway, for example, uh, he, he is now helping us in Cleveland. Uh, he's a professor at University of Delaware in physical therapy, uh, developed uh, these modified ride-on cars called Go Baby Go. And many people are familiar with that program. Uh, and uh, he's, we're, we're working on stuff for Livy right now, and that's been hugely helpful. So it's a long answer, apologize, but there's so many people that have reached out to help and that's been uh, that's been fantastic. That's so heartwarming to hear. So glad that there's so many people out there willing to help. Um, so I know uh, you mentioned that um, uh, you kind of struggled to find some evidence-based um, information to kind of guide your decision-making and you had to balance that with anecdotal evidence from uh, so many parties like therapists, nurses, friends. So with your technical background, how did you make sense of all of that um, to arrive at the decisions that you made? Yeah, uh, that, you know, again, I, I can't say there is definitely a system as on a case by case basis. Uh, I, I, in the talk, I did mention one example of hyperbaric oxygen therapy where there was evidence against it. And I don't think I went in detail on this. Uh, I actually, uh, I was against it. My wife was for it because she thought this could be the home run that helps heal her brain. That's what we really need. Uh, and I was like, well, it's, it's recommended against doing it. So she's like, well, look up the studies. So I looked up the studies in the review paper underneath that. There were two randomized controlled trials. Right. And, and when you say when you talk about a method and you say a method doesn't work, let's say TV, like no one likes TV. Right. Well, some TV is good. Some TV is bad. You, you can't say all TV is bad based on one show. That's kind of how I feel or an RCT is. That's one TV show. There's a lot of settings you can do with hyperbaric oxygen therapy or, or other other techniques. Um, maybe it's not as flexible as that, but that's kind of how it, it, it could be seen. So if you've only tried it two times and you haven't shown it works, that doesn't mean it never works. Uh, the other thing is that one of those trials uh, wrote an editorial back to those authors who wrote the review, disagreeing with that placement, saying that they actually, they felt their trial promoted the, the use of HBOT. Now, again, I should note that I, I, we didn't notice it worked uh, despite the, the, the positive impression of other parents, but um, that's, that's kind of how our decision went. We went into the, the, the weeds a little bit and uh, we gave it a shot. I can't say it was a right or wrong decision, but that's what we, we went with. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, rehab engineering. What is rehab engineering? Uh, it's creating technology to uh, provide assistance, uh, therapy, for uh, assessment of individuals, uh, primarily after neurological injury. Okay, and how does somebody get into this field? What's the training required? Well, you should probably have an engineering background. Doesn't hurt for that. Um, and then you go to uh, typically go to graduate school for that, uh, and you uh, you study that way. You get your master's or PhD. Okay, and this is what you did. Yeah, that's what I did. Yeah. I see. And uh, what type of setting did you work in? Because I don't think I've seen a, a rehab engineer around the hospital recently. Ah, well, in, in Houston. So I, I worked in a, a at the what is now known as Shirley Ryan Ability Lab at the time Rehab Institute of Chicago. 
uh, where we had our own floor. So we were kind of separated that way. And, you know, you see a lot of gadgets there. But in Houston, you have TIER, which is a, a, a wonderful institution full of uh, top class researchers. And uh, they are in the, well, I, I guess they're in that building. They have kind of their own area, which I suggest you stop by and have a look. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to uh, name drop those people because I'll leave people out and don't want anyone to feel left out. But they're they're all wonderful people. Um, uh, they they uh, they so they're kind of separated in that sense, but uh, certainly something you should stop by and see. I would love to stop by and talk to yeah. them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> what specifically was your uh, research and training in? Uh, so I, I my. My major was mechanical engineering. I have to say it was more, but in reality, it was more towards biomedical engineering. Uh, my thesis topic was on uh, developing an exoskeleton and testing uh, the minimal amount of assistance it would take to help people with stiff knee gait walk in a more healthy manner. And uh, that, so that, was, that involved some robotics. I had to build something, design something, and that involved the testing of that on stroke patients. Wow, fascinating stuff. Um, so if a resident, if a rehab resident wants to get involved in, in rehab engineering, uh, kind of peripherally, what would you recommend? Oh, I, well, first I would recommend doing it for certain. Uh, and, you know, I, you got to kind of use the skills you have. So, you know, your background in electrical engineering can certainly, you, you could be of a whole lot of use in rehab engineering uh, because it's not like there's, you know, a, a discipline or a skill, use whatever skills you have to, uh, to create technology. You don't need, uh, it's not like you need a PhD in order to do it in that area. Uh, so how do you get involved? Um, I would go to tier, talk to those researchers, explain what you're interested in, and uh, it, they can find a place for you on a project. It's, I, 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 they would love to have you. All right. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, Okay, so, you know, regarding the experience that you shared uh, with us today and in, in Grand Rounds, um, you're definitely savvy and you have a lot of a lot of data points um, regarding the years that you put in. So looking back, what advice would you give parents um, who are in your situation, but a little bit earlier along in the process? Uh well, uh, yeah, that's that's a tough question to answer because uh, I, you know, even with all the stuff we've done, I can't, I don't know what we did was right and what we did was wrong. You know, what what led to her uh, benefit, but I can say, uh, you know, certainly reach out to everyone you can. Don't be shy about reaching out to experts. Um, reach out to me. Uh, just try and get as much information as you can. But uh, unfortunately, ultimately, you need to be the one to decide what's best for your child. Uh, just um, take help when you can get it and uh, do your best to, to get through every day uh, would be my advice. Right. Yeah, thank you so much for that, Dr. Solzer. I think that's all the time we have today. Really appreciate you taking time to talk to us today. And uh, thank you for sharing your, your story and being open and honest. Uh, with everything, we really value um, 
your your input and everything that you had to say today. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks, Sal. Appreciate it. Thank you. I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double-check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.